Good evening. It's good to see everyone tonight. Again, we have several who are gone still at the Connect Retreat. Thankful they're able to be there and thankful that uh, everything's going well except for the sickness and, and hopefully that uh, will continue to be fine as well. But this, tonight as we begin our lesson and think about the, the things that we want to do for the year, we've already talked about last, well, week from last Sunday night, two weeks ago from tonight, we talked about on Sunday nights we're going to be sort of going through the book of Joshua, and, and we're not going to be preaching through the book of Joshua, everything that's there, but our theme for the year is the battle belongs to the Lord, and I know of no better one single book in the Bible than the book of Joshua that exemplifies that, so we're picking out some topics from the book of Joshua and thinking about them. Now, as we do that tonight, I want you to look this guy up here on the screen. He just looks like an interesting kind of guy to me. His name is Onyeka and Shaggy, and I'm, I'm hoping that I'm not butchering that name too much, but uh, I've done some reading from him. He has a blog and uh, has several things to say, but in one of his articles, he was talking about the fact that he was having a conversation with one of his uh, uh, teammates, that's what he said, his employees or, or one of the people who works with him, and, and I guess I should tell you, you're reading it probably on the screen, he is the chief uh, information officer of Interstate Batteries. Uh, before that, he'd been the chief information officer of uh, Coca-Cola Bottling Consolidated, the largest Coca-Cola bottling uh, company in the United States, but uh, he said he was having a conversation with uh, this teammate, and, and they were talking about leadership, and he said this thing had gone pretty well for about the first 30 minutes before he made a statement uh, to, the, to the lady that he was talking to, and, and they were talking about leadership, but here's what he had to say. He said, uh, uh, I need to tell you, you don't need to worry about being a better leader until you become a better follower. Now, nobody likes to be told they're a follower, and I don't think it went too well with this uh, lady and, uh, as well, but uh, I think he has a point there. You don't need to worry about being a better leader until you become a better follower. How many books have you ever seen on leadership? How many articles have you ever seen? There's probably thousands of books on leadership and, and tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of articles on leadership uh, that you can search on the Internet and read. And Some of them will say the same thing as the others. Some have just a little bit different take. But there is a lot of things that have been said in regard to leadership. But how many books and how many articles do you see on followership or followership? You ever thought about that? On being a good follower. Now that was not a very hot topic until back in the 1980s, late 1980s, when a man by the name of Robert E. Kelly uh, sort of pioneered some work on followership. And he himself penned a book uh, that is titled The Power of Followership. Um, he is sort of the, the father of that science, I guess you might say. He is one of the professors at Carnegie Mellon University, the business school there. And, and since his time, since he wrote his book, there have been a number of others who have followed in his footsteps and written concerning followership. But he has several things to say in regard to that. He says effective followers, there's four things that you see on the screen. 
He said effective followers think for themselves, carry out assignments with energy and assertiveness, are self-motivated or self-starters, and he says they take calculated risks. Now, this is not the leaders. This is the followers. Based on his article or based on his books and his writing, he has a lot more than that one simple book. He does seminars and workshops all over the country in regard to followership, but... Firehouse Magazine, if you're a firefighter, you're probably familiar with Firehouse Magazine or Firehouse.com. Back in March of last year, March 17th of 2015, they had an article on their website, Do You Have the Qualities of a Successful Follower? And a lot of what they had to say in that particular article was based on uh, what Kelly says in his writings, of course, but I thought they summed it up pretty well. In that article, with these four words, a good follower is one who has self-management. A good follower is one who has commitment. A good follower is one who has competence. And a good follower is one who has courage. Now, I don't have time to deal with all of their things and to talk about each one of those individually. We could do that and, and put some Bible behind these things. But what I want to say tonight is this. Before... Before Kelly, before the article in Firehouse Magazine and and many other articles now, uh, there were other pioneers in regard to followership. As a matter of fact, it's not original with any either of these, even though you know Kelly may be considered one of the the leaders in followership. But you know that principle and those principles were not new to him and. And as a matter of fact, when we go all the way back to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, we can find some the necessity and some qualities of being a good follower found in that chapter. And so that's what we want to look at. That's what we want to think about. I think some of the things that we've said already are right. Before we can have good leaders, we have to have good followers. Before we can be a good leader, we have to be a good follower. And But tonight we want to talk about some things. Now you remember, as we talked about two weeks ago, God had appointed Moses, uh, rather Joshua, to be the successor to Moses. And uh, uh, the people were to follow Joshua. You know, they were to uh, take his leadership and go in and actually possess the promised land. All of us remember that story. But what are some of the qualities of good followers that we can find in this passage in First uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, number one on my list, I want us to understand tonight that good followers follow with unreserved submission. Follow with unreserved submission. Look at uh, verse 16 and the first part of verse number 17. Notice what the Bible says. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Now we know that as the Israelites were traveling through the wonder, wandering in the wilderness for those 40 years, they, they wondered because they had uh, uh, not followed so well in a lot of areas. But that doesn't mean that they didn't know what it meant to be a good follower. All that you tell us, all that you command us, we'll do it. Wherever you send us, that's where we'll go. 
and we will give our allegiance to you just like we have given our allegiance to Moses. I think that's an important statement when it comes to being a good follower. If you have your Bible tonight, I hope you'll open it up with us. Go to the book of 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament. And let's look together at two verses there, uh, verses 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. And I think as we look at that passage, we're going to find the principle, at least, of what is said here in the book of Joshua chapter 1. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, the Bible says, Paul writing, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I want to ask you a question tonight. What does it mean? Did you notice in that that passage there in verse number 12 that Paul says that he is asking them to be respectful, to respect those who labor among you. What does it mean to respect those who, who are over you, those who labor among you? What does that mean? If you happen to have a copy of the New American Standard, you'll note that that word that's translated respect is the word, it's actually translated appreciate in the New American Standard, to appreciate those. And, and I'm not sure that that's exactly the, what the word is referring to. When we're talking about their respect of those who are over them and those who labor among them, I'm not, saying that he's, uh, not sure that he's simply saying, appreciate them. Now what makes me say that? Well, we have other passages that deal with the same principle. Hold your finger there in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 5. And go with me over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you look first at verse number 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 16, Paul, the same writer, says, uh, Be subject to such as these. He's given the leaders and those who are working among them. He says, Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. Now notice what he says, be subject. But look down to verse number 18, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 18. He says, for they, these same fellow workers, laborers, those who are over them, he says, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Same word that we have back over here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Give recognition to them. Paul, how do you want me to give recognition to them? Is it simply that you want me to appreciate them? No, I want you to be subject to them. I want you to listen to what they have to say. I want you to go where they have to lead you. Uh, That was the principle that we saw back here in Joshua chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Whatever you command us, we'll do it. Wherever you send us, we'll go. We will respect you. We will do for you. We will treat you in the same way that we treated Moses. That's the principle, I think, that we have in the New Testament. Now, we're not talking about just blindly following someone who would run us off of a cliff. Uh, We're not talking about blindly following someone 
who is openly in opposition to what God teaches us in the New Testament. So please don't, don't take it in that way. We have to stand true to God's Word in everything that we do. But when the men who are leading us are taking us in the direction that God has laid out in His Word, we owe it to them the same thing that the children of Israel owed to Joshua. Whatever you tell us, we'll do. Wherever you send us, we will go. And so as we think about that, I want you to understand why we're to do that. Go back, if you will. I told you to hold your finger there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Why was it that they were to respect the leaders, those who, had, uh, who were over them in the Lord? Look at it one more time. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love. And here's the point. Because of their work. There's the reason that we are to esteem them and that we are to follow them because of their work. Occasionally you'll hear people say, you know, <clears throat> I, I, I respect the office of the president just because it's been established in our Constitution, but I don't respect the person who is the president. That principle can't apply in the Lord's church. Not in that way, at least. We don't respect elders in the Lord's church just because they're elders. We respect them for their work's sake. What does that mean? They're only in that position because God himself ordained that position. And so in other words, what we're saying is this, we esteem them, we, we obey them, we are submissive to them in the way that uh, the New Testament teaches us to be because that's what God said do. When we're submissive to them, we're submissive to God. We esteem them because that's what God said for us to do. For their work's sake. God was the one who established that work. God was the one who laid it out. And thus we are to be submissive to them. You know, when I fail to unreservedly submit to the leaders, I fail to unreservedly submit to God. That's just simple. Because of their work's sake. You know, a lot of times we're inclined to accept the leadership of, uh, uh, and the direction of the, our leaders and actively get behind them when we agree with them. Don't we? Why is that? Well, maybe it's because <laughs> they're really doing what we prefer anyway. But the real test of submission to God and to others is to be submissive when we don't agree. When we don't agree. I'm fearful a lot of Christians reserve the right to refuse and maybe even sabotage, whether actively or passively, the direction that the leadership intends to take many congregations just because they don't 
agree. Folks, that's a worldly attitude, not a godly one. It's not the attitude that the people had in the day of Joshua. Followers cannot do that. Add one more thought to that. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Same topic is being discussed in Hebrews 13, verse 17. The writer, possibly the Apostle Paul, but whoever it is, we're not 100% sure, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Same topic, we're to be submissive to the leaders, but for a different reason here. What's the reason here? Well, I've often said, you've heard me say, that the only person who will give an account for you other than you is an elder in the Lord's church. But what is the point here? The point is this. We're to be submissive to them because Christ is holding them accountable. He's holding them accountable for their work. He's holding them accountable for us. Those who are following. Those who are the fellowship in a, conver- in a congregation. We need to be submissive because one day our elders will stand before God in the day of judgment. They will give an account. He will hold them accountable. And when we're poor followers, we hurt ourselves. And, and did you notice again what he said? It's not going to be good for you on the day of judgment either. You see, uh, we don't have as much time to deal with that in great detail, but I, I just want you to think about that. We're to be submissive because our elders, our leaders, are being held accountable by Christ. They should be holding us accountable as well. Good followers follow with unreserved submission. Number two, good followers petition God on behalf of their leaders. Look at verse 17. We've already read the first part. We'll read it again to make complete uh, sense. Just as we have obeyed Moses in all things, so will we obey you. Only may the Lord be with you as he was with Moses. Now you think about that statement that is made in this passage. Only may the Lord be with you. They're not saying, well, we hope that the Lord will be with you. In this statement, they are petitioning God to be with Joshua. May the Lord, as you're leading us, Joshua, may the Lord be with you just as he was with Moses. Folks, take into consideration the impact of that statement. These people had stood near the tabernacle and they had witnessed the glory of God in the tabernacle. Their parents had heard the voice of God, the thundering as it were, as God had called Moses up on the mountain and had given him the the law. Every time it was time for them to move, do you remember what happened? The pillar, the 
light that was over the tabernacle, it moved. So they knew it was time to move. When it stopped, they knew it was time for them to camp. There was no question in their mind that the Almighty God had been with their leader Moses. Now they're asking that same God to continue to be with Joshua. As he leads them into battle, they fight the battles to take the promised land and then ultimately divide it among themselves. Only may the Lord be with you. And with that thought in mind, again, go with me to the New Testament. I want you to notice Paul's attitude and actions regarding the elders at Ephesus. Turn, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20. And I want you to pay close attention to verse number 32. Acts 20, verse 32. One of the verses that I I use quite often when uh, in funerals, or at least at the end of a funeral, somewhere in a funeral, I always try to comfort the family to some degree with this passage, but it's a very full verse. Acts chapter 20, verse 32 says this, Paul talking to the elders at Ephesus, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I want you to focus with me just a moment on that little phrase, I commend you to God. What does it mean for Paul to commend these elders with whom he is about to pray? What does it mean for him to commend them to God? Well, the same word is used at other times in the book of Acts. And in relation to elders, look at Acts chapter 14, verse 23. In Acts 14, 23, there the Bible says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, watch this. English Standard Version says, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul says in Acts chapter 20, I commend you to the Lord. Uh, It's translated a different way previously in Acts chapter 14 verse 23. They committed them to the Lord. What does it mean to commend the elders, these people, these men, these leaders in the church, what does it mean to commend them to the Lord, to commit them to the Lord? Well, the word itself means something like this. To deposit for one to have a charge over. To deposit something or someone with someone else for them to have a charge over them. It's interesting to me that that word is used again in the New Testament In such passages as the book of Luke chapter 23 at verse 46. And if you remember anything about Luke chapter 23, you'll know that's where Jesus is hanging on the cross. His earthly life, if you will, is just about over. And in Luke chapter 23 at verse 46, the Bible says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Think about that for a minute. Same word that we have in Acts 20, verse 32, Acts chapter 14 at verse 23, that's translated commend, Acts 14, verse 23, commit, 
Jesus says, I commit my spirit into your hands, God. Father, I'm giving you my spirit back. I'm, I'm releasing it, if you will, from this old earthly body and I'm putting it back in your hands. What did the, what did the Father, as it were, allow to happen? Well, the spirit was separated from the body. The body was put in the grave. That was on Friday afternoon. What happened early Sunday morning? The spirit that had been committed back to God, to the Father, was returned back to the body. The stone was rolled away. And our Lord walked out. He gave his spirit back to God for him to have charge of. Paul says, I'm giving these elders. We're giving these elders back to God. They're in his hands. God, would you please be with them? God, would you help them and direct them and guide them and give them courage and strength to lead in the right way? They petitioned God on behalf of their leaders. Only may the Lord, your God, be with you. Not only did they commend their elders, their leader, Joshua, and us as elders, they prayed. Look at Acts 20, verse 36 again just three or four verses past what we looked at in verse 32. The Bible continues on, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. May I ask you tonight, when was the last time you prayed for our leaders? You may say, well, we prayed this morning during the prayer. Uh, whoever it was led the prayer. They, they, they probably mentioned our leaders. I, I mean outside of public worship service. When was the last time you prayed for our leaders? And you know, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, chasing rabbits or anything, but I'm going to anyway. A lot of times when we do pray for our leaders in the public assembly, you know what we pray? Lord, help them to make wise decisions or some form of that. Later on this year, we're going to be talking about the work of elders and deacons. And, and I will assure you, in that sermon, we'll find that they do more than make decisions, whether they're wise or not. And so we should pray for them for more, for them. Just like these people prayed for more for Joshua. Only may the Lord be with you. How was it to be with Joshua? As he was, was with Moses. Moses, you better make a wise decision. Now Moses led people. Same is true today. And so tonight, if we want to be good followers, then may I call on us to petition God on their behalf. Number three, good followers do not tolerate rebels. Period. And it's strong here in this passage. Look at verse 18. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now he qualifies what he says there when he talks about whoever rebels. 
What are they rebelling against? Well, whatever Joshua commanded them, whatever um, they were disobeying his words. But if you take the qualifying statements out, this is what you have. Whoever rebels shall be put to death. Y'all ever heard the term zero tolerance? That's what they're calling for. Whoever rebels shall be put to death. Now understand tonight, I'm not calling for that. You know, if you, if you say something, if you rebel against the commands of, uh, of the elders here, what they teach, I'm not saying let's have public execution up here, you know, on Sunday morning for the sermon. But what I am concerned with is what God thinks. And I want you to understand tonight, God does not take kindly to those who rebel against his leaders. Let me call three names, see if you remember them. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Anybody remember those three names? Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram were three men who rebelled against Moses, the previous leader. God's previous leader. And we can read their story, and I'm not going to take time to read it tonight. We can read the story of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram in the book of Numbers chapter 16. That whole chapter is in regard to the events surrounding Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Korah challenged the leadership of Moses. He didn't like what Moses was doing. He didn't like where Moses was taking them. And so he challenged the leadership of Moses. To make a long story short, Moses challenged Korah. Basically what he said is this. You gather up all of your followers and you stand them beside you and let the Lord choose the leader that he wants whether it's you and your followers or me and his people. Now there's a lot more that's there in that chapter, but I want to take you to the very end. Did God make a choice? I want you to remind you of something. Here's the way God was to choose. If God chose Korah, then nothing should happen. If God chose Moses, then Korah was to die, but he wasn't to die in the fashion as as men normally die. Anybody remember how Korah and all of his followers died? If you read Numbers chapter 16, the Bible says the Lord caused the ground to open up and swallow Korah and everything that was related to him and then close in over him. It uh, doesn't usually happen that way, does it? God made a choice. There are some other things that are there. As they're standing in the midst of the people, God pretty much tells Moses and, and Aaron, his brother, the high priest, back up because I'm fixing to wipe out the whole bunch. Because Korah had an effect on the people. And were it not for Moses and Aaron talking God out of it, they might have started over. 
Watch the point. God does not tolerate rebellion. Whoever rebels shall be put to death. These people, though they were far removed from it, had heard of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. I said a while ago, we're not saying, okay, on Sunday morning, let's have a public execution. But what will God think on the day of judgment? Good followers do not tolerate rebels. How many times do we hear disgruntled brothers or sisters speaking disparagingly of their leaders? It goes something like this. They always, or they never. And then you fill in the blank. They always or they never do this or that. Folks, you may not always agree. Probably don't know all the facts. And based on your own state of spirituality, probably wouldn't make the proper decision even if you did. If we find ourselves guilty of that rebellion, we need to repent. Good followers do not tolerate rebels. I want you to consider something with me tonight, just as an illustration. Consider the rebellion that often takes place in the area of church discipline. We're talking about when it reaches the point of withdrawing fellowship from someone. Sometimes folks will say, well, church discipline, withdrawing fellowship, it doesn't work. Well, you want me to tell you why? Number one, it's not practiced as it should be in a lot of times, but a lot of times it's not practiced as it should be because we have set it up for failure. You know why? Because too many people stand in open rebellion by not following God's commands on the matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5 says, in regard to, to one who is openly living in sin, he says, deliver this man to Satan. Verse 7, that same chapter, he says, cleanse out the old leaven. Uh, in uh, verse number 11, I think it is, uh, he says that we're not even to eat with that person. Verse 13, purge the evil person from among you. He's talking to the church at Corinth. And, and he's dealing with a man who was openly uh, having a sexual relationship with his stepmother. But he gives us instructions in regard to, to, the, to the Lord's work. Here's what happens a lot of times, though. You have men who want to do what God said. They're leaders in the Lord's church. And they will withdraw, if you will, from a person because of the sin that's happening. And then there are others who are sitting in the audience. They'll say something like this. Here's that infamous word again, they. 
They, meaning the elders, withdrew from so-and-so, but I'm going to continue to treat them as though nothing ever happened. No wonder it doesn't work. If we never break the fellowship and exercise what God says and we carry on with our life as though everything was fine and dandy, it's never going to work. But those who do that stand in open rebellion against God. It was clear cut to the people of Israel the ones who rebel shall be put to death. Next on our list, good followers encourage their leaders. Look again at verse number 18. Last part of it. He said, Whoever rebels against your commandment disobeys your words. Whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Only be strong and courageous. Think about that statement that he makes there. That, that he records for us. Only be strong and, and, and courageous. Joshua, even if rebellion and matters like this come up, even if it's in exercising the death penalty, you stay strong. You stay courageous. You hold out. Because that's what God has commanded you to do. Only be strong and courageous. And this was coming from the mouth of the people, the followers. Folks, that's encouragement. That is encouragement. You stay strong, even in, in the face of, of these dire matters. You stay strong. When was the last time you encouraged your elders or your leaders? Thank you for the wonderful job. Please keep it up. Ever considered that they need encouragement too? Maybe you have, maybe you do. But let me suggest to you tonight that you need to do that even with more than words. By being an active follower. Not just one who says, well, you're doing a good job, you're leading well, but I'm just still sitting over here. I mean, y'all go on without me. Encourage not just by words, but by deeds, by action. But even more than that, I want you to think about something just a little bit deeper tonight. When was the last time you encouraged your elders to stand strong and courageous in their stance for truth? I just want to be really honest with you tonight. Sometimes elders are fearful in taking a stand because they are afraid of how the congregation will react, how someone might be offended. I have literally heard leaders make the statement, well, you know, we can't take this stand because we owe X number of dollars, and if we do, we're not going to be able to pay our bills. I don't want to be standing close to them on the day of judgment. Sometimes elders are fearful of taking a stand because 
they're afraid of offending someone. But what if? What if an entire congregation periodically stood before their elders, came to their elders, and said, Stand strong. Stand courageous. And we're behind you. I don't know about y'all, but that's sort of making chills run up and down my back right now. You stand strong. You stand courageous. Several years ago, we had a situation in which I didn't know for sure what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to lose my job or not. We had some folks who were standing for some things that just weren't true, weren't right, ungodly. And unfortunately, one of the families that were participating was one of the prominent families in the congregation, and the child and son-in-law of one of our elders. Those four men sat me down in the office, and I will never forget it with tears running down his face. The dad looked at me and said, Son, that's when I was a lot younger. Son, I've never heard you preach anything but the truth, and you better not change it now. Elders, we've never you never heard you say anything other than what's true. We've never seen you try to take us anywhere but where God wants us to go. And you better not change it now. What if an entire congregation stood behind an eldership and made a statement like that? That is power. Even in the face, if someone rebels, even in the face of that, Joshua, you better not back down. That's these people encouraging their leader at that point. Good followers. They do a lot of things. Four things mentioned here. They follow with unreserved submission. They petition God on behalf of their leaders. They, they do not tolerate rebels and they encourage their leaders. As we close out tonight, I want us to understand there's no doubt but that the Lord intended the church to have good, strong leaders. But what if the followers refuse to follow? I think there's two things you can do if the followers refuse to follow. I think, number one, you can change the leadership or you can change the structure of the leadership. And unfortunately, that's what we do sometimes. We, we say, well, you know, things are not getting done, so we're just going to change the leadership of the church. Or, or, or we're going to change, go back in history, we're going to change the structure of the church. We, we're not going to have elders. We'll, we'll just do it in a way that God didn't suggest. And I think that's a bad way of doing things. We better stick with the way God said it. So we can either change the leadership Or we can change the followers. What are you suggesting? 
we load up the followers that are not following and haul them off and, you know, get some new ones. No. We just change the heart. The heart of the followers. The battle belongs to the Lord. That's the whole thing. The battle belongs to the Lord. But what if you're not following the Lord? You will never win the battle. Fellowship is necessary too. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a follower of the Lord. You need to be baptized for the remission of sins. We'd love to sit down and talk with you. If you understand what you need to do, we'd love to assist you right now with that baptism to be immersed for the remission of your sins, having your sins washed away. Maybe you're here tonight and there's something amiss in your life that you need to make right in a public way. If that's the case, then you need to respond to it right now as we stand, as we sing.